This show is brought to you by earpeeler.com. What's up, everybody? This is John Bush from Armored Saint, and you are cranking it up. Okay, what's up, everybody? This is Ross the Boss. Hey there, this is Joey Vera from Armored Saints, and you are listening to Mars Attack. This is Doyle Wolfgang von Frankenstein of Doyle, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, what do you say? Be careful, because Mars Attacks. This is Bobby Blitz from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attacks. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Winnorp of Monster Magnet, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, what's happening? This is Tommy Victor from Prong and Danzig. Hey, all here's Andreas Kisser from Sepultura and De La Tierra, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Enjoy. Yo, what's up? This is Frank Fellow from Anthrax, and you are listening to Mars Attack. Turn it up! Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Stilter, and you're listening to Mars Attack. Hello, everybody. This is Max Cavalera, Soulfly. You're listening to Mars Attack. Stay metal. Welcome, one and all, to episode number 133 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor. And it has been a very frustrating, trying week. If you have gone to any of my websites, whether that's MarsAttacksRadio.com, whether that's EarPeeler.com, whether that's GalaxyOfGeeks.net, for a lot of the week, the sites have been down. Um... Been dealing with all types of server issues from my hosting company, and it has been very, very frustrating. I've spent I've spent close to 15 hours on the phone with them in about a week, and I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do this podcast today because I was basically two days behind uh, updating Ear Peeler, and I'm trying to get the word out there and trying to put content up there for... For anyone that's interested in, in going there to, to check out the news that we have on the site, so on and so forth. And it's difficult to try to build a business from scratch if you basically can't open the doors for people to come in and see what you have. So it has been a very frustrating process. Um, I've been trying to look into other hosting companies, been trying to contact web developers that I've known from previous jobs and I've essentially gotten nowhere. I've gotten um, different things such as um, being told to work with certain hosting companies that I can't afford, um, being told to find a developer, which I probably need to do at this point in time. also, I've been playing hot potato, if you will, between the hosting company, a plugin, and the theme that I use on all these sites. So, the whole process has been very, very, very frustrating, but I hope to alleviate it as soon as possible. Thanks for bearing with me. No, none of the sites are going away. It's just that there are technical issues. I wish I could throw up the the old Indian head there and but we are experiencing technical difficulties. Please bear with us. You know, that type of a deal. But, fortunately, I can't do that. So, I'm trying to remedy this issue as quick as possible. So, again, thanks for thanks for being there. Um, I don't know if I throw this up there without it being on the website. If, um, if you'll be able to download it via iTunes and whatnot... Um, that's another point that I wanted to touch on in that there are people saying that they've had difficulties with various programs to, uh, essentially have their, or be able to listen to this show. Uh, if you run into any issues with, um, listening to the podcast on any program that you might have on your, uh, on your Android device, for example, because with iTunes, it isn't an issue um if you run into any issues please let me know and i'll do what i can to 
contact the companies that that are basically um, uh, not promoting the show, but their their programs, their apps actually allow you to reproduce our shows. So uh, let let me know, and I'll do what I can to try to get that up and running. So um, the interview that I have for you today is with Billy Keaton from Audiotopsy. This interview was done all the way back in August. Um, at the time, the Audiotopsy album was about to hit the shelves, hit the internet legally in August. Then all of a sudden, the label decided to push everything back to October, so I held on to it. And with everything else that I had going on at the time, I just kept pushing back, pushing back, pushing back until today. <laughs> uh, I'm putting this interview out now. Uh, fairly interesting interview, I think. Uh, I was a fan of Mudvayne, whether you people, whether you people like it or not. No. Um, yeah, I dug the band. You know, they had their their moments like any other band they had they had songs that were really good indifferent and other songs that i didn't care for you know that's no different than any other band out there um i don't think there's anyone out there that can hit home runs even led zeppelin did hot dog for god's sake so <laughs> there you go um but anyway yeah i always thought that mudvayne was was almost like a a heavier version of Tool. And I know a lot of people are going to say, oh, that's sacrilege, because one of the things that would ultimately really piss me off about Tool fans is Tool could fart on record, and it's the greatest thing ever released. How can you not see that? Eh, it's good. Uh, some of the stuff is great. I remember when 10,000 Days came out, there were people swearing that it was the greatest thing ever recorded. And at the time, I said to a lot of people, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, it isn't even the best album in their catalog. Nonetheless, the greatest album ever recorded. So if it's your favorite album, I think you got to distinguish between, you know, greatest album due to importance or whatnot. And your favorite album, because those can be two different things. I can say that, um, I don't know, um, there are tons of albums that can be considered the most important album of all time or the greatest album of all time. Um, but for me, my favorite album, shit, my favorite album, my first two favorite albums probably aren't the most popular for a lot of people within these bands' catalog, my one would be Kiss's Creatures of the Night, and two would be Black Sabbath's Dehumanizer, for different reasons. Well, both have great, big, heavy, punishing drum sounds. I mean, that has a lot to do with it. But still, there's great songwriting and whatnot. So, I mean, to me, those are my favorite albums of all time. Does that mean that I can sit there and say, these are the most important albums of all time? In my opinion, they're my favorite. Doesn't mean they're the most important. I don't think so. I know that I have odd taste <laughs> when it comes to music and whatnot. Um, I tend to try to travel the, you know, or go down the road less traveled per se. I like a lot of deep cuts. I like a lot of things that maybe aren't so popular. Um, I do also subscribe to the theory that sometimes things aren't released for a reason. And there's a fairly popular uh, hard rock band that originated from the 70s that just re-released, I think it's nine of their albums, and people have gone apeshit over this. The greatest re-releases of all time. And it's got this and it's got that. And I listened to I listened to each one. And I thought, wow, there's a reason why 99% of this was not released previously. Hmm. Two, two really cool tracks 
that were unreleased and one ultimately ultimately released as part of a greatest hits. But the rest, in my opinion, I don't know, is just sort of throwaway. Um, when when you have a, a alternate take of a song that you've already heard on the radio 50 billion times, and the only thing different is that it doesn't have a polished sound on it, that it's raw uh, due to the lack of production on the track, I mean... I don't know. Me personally, it doesn't do anything for me. If I look at, for example, uh, for like as a kid, I had Motley Crue's Shout at the Devil demos. And you hear tracks that have different things that didn't appear on the final track, like um, Look That Kill, I believe. The ending is, uh, is extended, and there are a lot of different... Like guitar fills and uh, different licks and and different things that Tommy Lee's doing uh, that don't appear on the album and stuff like that is cool. Uh, alternate lyrics or things like that. All right, cool. I, I get that. I get why a collector and I get why you know the these these recent reissues pique people's interest. I get it. Me personally. Some of that's, you know, I, I could have done without it. And, and I have an issue with with albums being re-released and forcing people to go out and purchase this material again. Why can't there be some sort of, um, like a box set or even a CD that's put out or, you know, vinyl or even cassettes are coming back or... You know, digital download that has all of this together instead of, oh, well, now you need to buy this album for the fifth time if you want to hear these tracks. I don't know. I, I, I don't get it. I understand why they do it. But for the fan, if you're complaining that the music industry is not making money, well, you have to sort of bring things closer to the market demand and don't let people fool you because there's been more money made last year within the music industry than any other year previous, okay? To hear people bitch and complain that, you know, oh, the, the internet is such a detriment and, you know, I'd go back to a time without the internet. Listen. I hate those newfangled automobiles. The horse and buggy will never let you down. Same shit, my friend, okay? We evolve as people. Technology evolves. Different things evolve. There's no reason that music didn't have to evolve. The industry was ripping fans off for years. I've said this a bunch of times. To hear bands continuously say, the 90s were the best. Because we made so much money, right, because you shoved vinyl, cassette, and CD down people's throats, so people were buying three copies of your album as opposed to one, and then when it came to the MP3 format, people just ripped those CDs to MP3s, so that has a lot to do with people not going out there and buying these albums over again. Also, a lot of people don't like to hear this, but Steve Jobs and iTunes liked what happened with Napster and put a business model behind it. So people no longer had to buy full albums, which to me is a good thing because how many albums, let's be honest, we purchased that were clunkers. There was that one sing single that was really cool. And then all of a sudden, you you spend sixteen bucks, twenty bucks on an album, and then it turns out that the rest of the album sucks, or it turns out that this band had some type of a hit at one point in time, and you have a B version of that hit, a C version of that hit, and a D version of that hit. And I'm not saying that there's different iterations. Yes, there's different iterations, but I'm saying from a quality standpoint, you have an A-level, which was the hit. Then you have a 
something written similar to that. Um, that track that is that is similar is all right. Well, you know that's cool. It sounds somewhat like the that big single they had. Okay, I get it. Then you have the C version on the album, which is eh, this is pushing it. And then you have the D level, which is just a blatant ripoff that really is just a placeholder. Um, for a lot of these bands, for a lot of heritage bands, which is just about the dumbest term you can use. For a lot, for a lot of these bands, I don't understand the point in recording a full album. I liked what Motley Crue did a few years ago, where they recorded, you know, uh, one or two. No, they recorded one track, and then for that tour, they played that track. Okay, what's the point in doing ten songs if you're only gonna be playing? One song for one leg of the tour. Well, the fans want to hear the hits. Okay. <clears throat> Let's be honest here. The fans want to hear the hits. People don't want to hear this. Okay. But if you look at, okay, the bands or the touring artists that are on the upper echelon, Metallica rotates their set. Okay. Show to show. U2 rotates their set. Usually, um, they play more or less the same songs, but they rotate the order on a nightly basis, and they pull songs in and out as well. Uh, not to the same extent that Metallica does. Madonna, who I just saw a video of hers from back in, I think it's uh, 2013, the MDNA tour, and if you look at what she's playing on this tour compared to that tour, the songs are pretty much all different. And I got to tell you, you know, you, you want to bitch and complain, well, that's not metal. That's not hard rock. Look at this show she puts on. Um, it has a lot more to do with someone like Kiss or like Judas Priest or, you know, um, Nine Inch Nails or Depeche Mode where there are technological innovations and there are things that you're going to see on stage that it just isn't, you know, some someone with a big staircase and 30 dancers. Yes, you got the dancers and all that shit, but there's other stuff there that really draw you in and whether I've just lost my metal cred with some of you or not, well, whatever, but... Look at that, you know, different tours, you draw people in because, oh, wait, she's playing a completely different, you know, set list. She's doing something completely different. It's not the same old, same old. It isn't Ozzy Osbourne who's been doing the same fucking set list since Randy Rhodes was alive. Okay, come on, man. How do you expect albums to sell if you don't believe in your own product? Well, people don't want to hear it. Bullshit. These big bands are playing five and six songs off of a new album. This Madonna video in question, she's playing the entire fucking album. Okay? And you see people singing along to it. That shows me that if you put out good material and you go out there and play it for people... They, they're they're gonna buy it and they're gonna want to hear you perform this stuff. You know these upper echelon bands. You know I also mentioned Depeche Mode. I mentioned Nine Inch Nails. They do the same thing. So why is it that we have in hard rock and metal, we have bands that have become, you know, like a like a old Motown tribute. You know, um, we have one member of this band. They still have the name, and they're just playing those four hits that they had 50 years ago. I mean, how do you, how can you have people go out and purchase a new album if that's all you're going to do? You're going to play the same old, same old. So what happens with the advent of the internet, you go to setlist.fm, and you see, oh, you know, so-and-so's coming is coming around and touring. Okay, I saw them the last four tours. 
Uh, I have a choice between seeing these two acts. Let me see what they're each playing live. Okay. Oh, well, the internet takes the fun away. Yeah, I understand, but it's there, you know. So let's let's not pretend that it doesn't exist, and that people do not go there and check out the set list before determining what they're gonna do. So they go and they see. Okay, well, this band is playing, you know, half of their new album, along with, you know, a, a mix of some songs that I haven't seen them play in a while in comparison to this other band that is playing the same old, same old and just two songs off of their new album. Who am I going to see? It costs the same. Um, I think I'm going to be drawn more towards something that's going to be unique and special for a specific tour to say, I was there when they toured behind this song before this happened, you know, when they toured behind this album and I was able to see that song live and man, it raised the hairs on my arms. It did this, it did that. I'll always remember that. There's so much blame. Well, the fans and the internet and this and that. No, you fucking sloth. Do something to make sure that you catch people's attention. You know, it's, it's amazing. We heard my good friend, Chris Vaglio, who does the, Galaxy of Geeks podcast along with me. We heard him talk about how Motley Crue finished up their run and how they did absolutely nothing special for their last three shows. End of the line, L.A., hometown crowds. These people have been seeing us for the better part of three decades. And we're going to do the same old set list that we've been doing for 10 years, for the most part. Okay, they did the Las Vegas residency. We're going to do something special. We're going to do Look That Kill on acoustic. Can you hear a pin drop in the room? Come on, man. Give me a break. That's not special. That's fucking laughing in your fan's face. You know, give, give me a break. Like Chris said, you know, final show. This is it. This is your money shot. This is when... If you're, if we're going to believe what you're saying, you, you can't pull something out, you know, some deep cut that you haven't played in X amount of years, or, you know, does it come down to, and, and based on Nikki's comments, it seems sure as shit that, you know, there's really nothing left in the tank. So it was like, all right, well, let's get this over with. I have this other thing that I'm working on. Let's, you know, let's just... Put this to bed, you know, I don't, you know, I don't care. I don't want anything to do with this, so let's move on. Um, so, it's a, you know, again, you want people to buy your stuff. You want people to be engaged. You want to complain about the internet. You want to complain about all these different things. You want to complain that there's mon there's no money to be made, yet labels are still making money hand over fist. They're still making money off of Spotify, off of, you know, Pandora, off of YouTube, off of all these different things. Does the money get to the bands? In a lot of instances, it does not. So whose fault is that? Is that the Internet's fault? Is that the fans' fault? Or is that perhaps the band that still has their head up their ass and still is going by an old contract that isn't favorable to them and they're blaming it on everyone else outside of themselves for not taking charge of their own career and saying, okay, well, we're free. We work through all these distribution things. We're doing this. We're doing that. Okay. But still, when it comes to Spotify, when it comes to YouTube, when it comes to this, when it comes to that, the labels are still taking almost the entire amount of what's being – of what's out there to be had so, uh, I don't know. It, it's just one of those things where it's, it's surprising that from both sides, from a fan perspective and from a, from a lot of musicians perspective, they don't realize that things have changed. The rules are no longer the same. You have to move with the times like the rest of us have in our everyday jobs. Okay. We have to roll with our punches. We have to do what we can to survive. 
it was cool that 30 years ago you were in the back of a, a limo that had a jacuzzi and had models and little people and, and this and that, but those days are over. It's gone. Sorry. <laughs> you know, so in any event, long ramble. I apologize. I'm not trying to make this all about me. <laughs> I really just wanted to discuss that th- those topics, even though I've discussed them a bunch of different times. Um, in any event, remember that you can follow what I do on social media. Go to uh, MarsAttacksRadio.com to find all the links to um, Facebook, Twitter, G+. Uh, we're up on iTunes. I haven't had a review in years. If you want to leave a review, that's cool. I'm not going to sit here and beg. If you want to donate money to the cause, that's cool as well. I very much appreciate it. If you want to use our links to go to Amazon, just remember, as I've been saying in the past few shows, I don't make six or seven digits here. Far from it. Um, just remember that when you choose who you're who you're purchasing through, I mean, I understand if you want to say, hey, I, I, this is my favorite podcast, so I'm going to use their links to buy. That's cool. I understand that. I'm not holding a gun to anyone's head. If you purchase via my site, I appreciate it. I really, really do. And remember to check out all the other stuff that I'm involved in, earpeeler.com, for all your latest podcasting uh, news not news on podcasts, but various podcast episodes. Just go to earpeeler.com and you'll get what we're all about there. And also galaxyofgeeks.net with my good friend Chris Vaglio, with Ian Gonzalez, and with Mr. Seadark Cruz there, Caesar. So um, we've had a few episodes there without all four of us, but still, I mean, I think there's great geek content to go around. So hopefully I can post this and a new episode of that uh hopefully today this weekend i'm recording this on friday friday march 4th 2016 so hopefully i can um i can get these out there today so there you go uh let's get into a little audio topsy uh, I I really enjoy this album. You know, I mentioned before that I I liked Mudvayne. I still listen to tracks by Mudvayne from time to time, and I really in, enjoy this Audio Topsy album. It really caught me off guard because they could have they they could have done what they were doing in Hell Yeah, what, what Greg was doing in Hell Yeah. They could have gone for a complete Mudvayne copy. You can feel the different elements of Mudvayne, but it isn't Mudvayne. You know, you can feel the influences of the players, but it's definitely something different. So the album is Natural Causes. It's been out since October of 2015. Let's get into the track Headshot, and then we'll get right into my interview with Billy Keaton from... Audiotopsy.
Obviously, there's there's the million dollar question hanging over the band. Um, obviously, you guys are components of various other bands that were known at one point and that are obviously still known. What motivated you guys to get together and form Audiotopsy? Well, it was kind of a, a, a freak thing, man. You know, because I I was I was busy doing other things, you know, and uh, I took a little bit of a hiatus from 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 everything because I had a kid and just. Um, you know, I've, I've obviously, uh, you know, I've been, I pretty much live in the studio, man. I'm, I'm always uh, producing bands, writing song, writing songs, working on my own record, and playing in little uh, dive clubs, slinging covers here and there, you know. But for the most part, um, you know, I was busy in the studio working on some things, and I got a random call from Greg. To be honest with you, I hadn't uh, heard from Greg or spoke to Greg probably since I was actually on tour with him back in maybe 2002. So it was definitely uh, a surprise. It was, you know, unique at that, at, you know, uh, to say the least. And so he calls me <clears throat> and uh, I was busy doing some things. It took me a couple of days to, to kind of get back to him, but essentially, you know, I, I didn't, it didn't take me about a second to make the choice, you know, and uh, I thought it was a really good, move for me you know but at the at the same time it, it did take a second for me to make the decision but you know i was already working with perry my bass player and uh i sent greg the music that i was actually working on in the studio the same studio that we ultimately ended up recording natural causes in uh and the same guy that was in that engineered our record basically was engineering some stuff for me i let greg hear a few of those songs and um you know, he came back to me with like, you know, this is this is incredible, man. You know, who's this bass player? And, you know, is that him singing with you? And would he be interested in doing this? And um, so I asked Perry, and Perry said, Perry said, well, of course, man. I mean, are you kidding me? I said, I can remember distinctly asking Perry, like, hey, man, if you had an opportunity to play in a band with me and the guitar player and drummer from Mudvayne, would you do it, you know? And, um, and he was really shocked you know but at the same time so worthy of the gig you know that i had to offer it to him and and he actually said you know he, he was just over the moon about it just kind of like i was and we dove in pretty much that easy uh you know greg and matt i think around that time had recorded seven songs that uh that they had done themselves up at matt's house uh greg lives in, in right outside of dallas and so he flew up to Wisconsin and got in this, got in Matt's little home studio, and they they wrote like seven songs, and those seven songs ended up being on on or the first seven on the record, and uh, we ended up getting back together again and and later on this past year in late January, and recorded another three and made it a full ten, but uh, that that kind of gives you the overview. But yeah, those the, you know it was a random phone call, and uh, I basically said yeah and kind of you know, arm wrestled my bass player into coming and doing it with us, you know. You mentioned that you did sort of have a hesitation for a second. Was it because you were comfortable in the studio producing and doing other things that maybe you didn't want to get back to being in a in a band like this actively? <clears throat> Absolutely not, man. You know, I, I was to, you know, I was in the studio working on, my own record that I've been working on forever and we we're about nine, 10 songs into it. And, um, what made me hesitate was I had put so much time into that, you know, but my record is kind of on hiatus for the moment. Did you have any hesitation about wanting to play with these guys first to make sure that everything gelled or you just knew from past experience of touring with them and knowing Perry that you were, you were dead set that this was all going to work out? Well, I will tell you this, you know, it was more about the music for me. When those guys sent, when he, when uh, Greg sent me 
the first couple of few tracks that he sent me that are songs on the record, I knew when I, I knew immediately that this was going to be killer, incredible, based on kind of where I'm at musically and all of my years of doing this and so on and so forth. I just, I just knew that, that this was really, could be really, really good. So, you know, that there, that was, you know, there was no hesitation, you know. Okay. And did you feel any pressure? You know, you were going to be playing with the guys from Mudvayne or fans of you from Scrape of them, maybe, I don't know, um, not wanting you guys to get together or I don't know, or maybe some type of a super group title being thrown on you that did that at all bother you? Absolutely not, Victor. We, we, you know, I knew, I knew going into this that the Mudvayne fans are really passionate about that band. So I was prepared in the beginning to deal with that scenario, but it's been very, we've been received by them, you know, pretty much. And I, I, I suspect that, you know, they'll, that, you know, we'll be put under a microscope a little bit more by their fans, but, you know, I was, I was ready to deal with that from the jump and, you know, not really too worried about it. Okay. And the one thing that really, or or one of the many things that stood out to me from natural causes actually, is that a lot of bands, like when they get together in the, in the fashion that you guys got together is they try to sort of shy away from their past, try to, you know, to an extent, you know, they're forming a new group, so they don't want to bring that sort of element into the band. But what I think is great is that you feel those, you know, different parts of Greg and Matt's playing that you know from Mudvayne, and then it's it's your voice and it's Perry's playing, which is completely different to anything that they've done before. It sort of is is a great mix for how everything um came together was it a conscious effort to not stray that much from what actually brought all you guys to the dance per se good question um we 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 collectively well from the the first few demos the uh, vocal you know demos that i put down i guess you could say on the first few songs we knew we had our own thing immediately it didn't sound like either band uh maybe certain elements you, you know you get the you get the best of both bands, you know, but at the same time, it's different, man. It doesn't sound, it doesn't sound like, like anything. It's a new band, you know, it's a new band with a new sound, a new vibe. And, you know, we didn't put any pressure on each other to try to do that. It just happened naturally, man. You know, that's why we called the, the album natural causes, you know, pretty much. One of the other things that really stood out to me are your melodies on the album. There are some real killer hooks on there and just different things that, while listening to the album, um, really yeah. stood out yeah. to me and, and is, again, like you're saying, is really different to a lot of what they'd done in the past. Yeah. Was yeah. this a conscious effort on your behalf? You know what? I want to do these types of melodies or I want to go in a certain direction with my voice that maybe you hadn't in the past? No, man. This is just what's in my heart. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't put any any boundaries or any... Uh, this is a no rules vibe, you know, I just, what you hear is what, what I feel and what comes out of me naturally. And, you know, you know, I'll put it to you this way, you know, I have a, a home studio and when I first started working on this music and first started sending those guys, some of my, my original work, it never got changed. We didn't do anything, but maybe tweak a few lyrics, you know, as far as my melodies go, it was a home run from the first attempt. and you know, I didn't, I didn't try, like, again, you know, I, you know, I didn't specifically try to, uh, to, to do anything one particular way or have an agenda to, to be more melodic or whatever. I'm just being Billy Keaton. This is just what I do, you know? Cool. So in other words, you just listened to what they were sending to you and you just went with what initially came to you. Yeah, that's it, man. I mean, it's been a lot of years of being in this game, you know, and I'm just, you know, at a kind of a, a plateau, not really a plateau, but I'm, a, I'm at a, you know, kind of a point in my career where I'm more, I'm just refined a little bit. You know, my, my, uh, my style is, you know, I'm not searching for anything anymore, I guess you could say. And I, I've just been doing a lot of, of writing over the last five years on my own. And, you know, I guess that just carried over into this, you know. 
Okay. How much do you think being a producer and playing, you mentioned you'd played with a bunch of other groups as well and done some cover stuff. How much do you think all of that experience comes into play with how refined you are now as a singer and as a musician? Good question, man. 100%. You know, if you're sitting at home on the couch and you're not, you know, out there, you know, taking care of your art, man, and, and, and practicing and work, not really practicing, but just out there showcasing your art, man, then you're not, you're, you're just spinning, man. You're spinning your wheels, you know? And so yeah, that's a good question because that's exactly what I really believe in my heart that, that has, you know, put me at this point in my career where, I mean, I'm 20 plus years in this and the last 10, I've kind of been at home, but I've never stopped. And like I said, I have my own studio here and I've got a catalog of music. that's just like as thick as a Sears catalog, man. So, you know, we're, we're just, you know, it, it all plays, it all plays into, you know, to that, I guess you could say. Okay. And what I noticed right away from, the cover of the album to the pictures that were sent to me to the pictures you guys have out there on Facebook that the imagery of the band is going to be unique, different, and something that sticks out from, you know, from other bands that are out there trying to do hard rock or, or metal music. How important yeah. was it to come up with that uniqueness for you guys? Very important. That was one of the things that we did sit around and have major discussions about is imaging the band. And we didn't want, we wanted it to be different. We wanted all that to be different for sure. And uh, that's kind of what you get, you know, when you look at the cover and you look at kind of, you know, what, what, how we're dressing ourselves, you know what I mean? I mean, all bands wear black, you know what I mean? For instance, and we right. wanted to steer away from that, you know, <laughs> for example, okay. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How is that going to play into the live setting? Have you guys have you guys already figured that out? Are you guys going to do something specific live to play with that uh, imagery that you guys have going on right now? We've got some cool ideas brewing for sure. I'm not going to give it away just yet, but we, you know we we definitely are going to try to bring something a little bit uh, different to our live uh, in, to our live image as well. You know, and let it it'll correlate with you know what people are already seeing on some level and uh, since, but we're a new band you know we can't really do too much other than get up and play but yes it will be different what about the set list do you guys have anything planned for the set list um are you guys just going to play the album given that what you're saying you guys are a new band are there any covers yeah. that you'd like yeah. to do is there anything from you know from any one of your past that you guys would like to touch upon we're strictly going to be audio topsy. You know, we're not going to play any scrape songs, no mudvayne songs. If we do any covers or a cover, we'll put it together out on the road. We've discussed a few things, but you know, like what ifs, but for the most part, you know, we're focused on playing audio topsy music and uh, we've, we've uh, definitely played around with a couple of different set arrangements, you know, um, just taking all the best elements of the, of the album and trying to consolidate it into, you know, six tunes, because obviously we're only going to be playing like a 30 minute set starting out. And then if we do our own headlining shows, you know, here and there, obviously we'll be playing the whole record. Okay. And do you have anything already planned out as far as to go out on the road? Or is that something that's still in the planning stages? We have a, we have a couple of things that are, um, that are brewing. I'm not at liberty to really discuss right now, but I will say that, you know, we have a couple things that are uh, starting to simmer a little bit and the band's looking to get out and tour mid September for sure. And speaking of touring, there's been a, a big sort of hullabaloo these last few weeks uh, regarding the, the mayhem tour, for example. And, and there's always talk about why, <laughs> you know, Europe has big festivals and why the U S all, all the traveling festivals that come about, uh, all seem to fall apart. Why do you think that these festivals don't succeed in, in the States? Is there one thing in particular you think that doesn't work out? Is it the promoters? Is it fans losing interest? What what would you think is what, you know, isn't helping these festivals stay alive? Well, one, you know, that's a good question. 
you know, I don't, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, any specific, you know, thing, but I'll, right. I'll say this, that I, I think that it's, it, it has a lot to do with these festivals, you know, and these promoters putting these festivals together with just one genre of music, man. You know, like Mayhem is just all, um, you know, hardcore metal and, you know, why not throw Cypress Hill in the middle of that or some suicidal tendencies, you know, and mix it up some, put Tool on that bill. These bands probably wouldn't play Mayhem, but this is the kind of thing that I think is kind of hurting festivals a little bit, unless it's a full-on radio uh, radio fest where, you know, it's all the different radio bands, you know, that's, that's kind of, uh, of a mixed palette there. But, you know, when you think about Mayhem, you think about one thing, right? And, you know, those fans, you know, kind of get, you know, numb to it a little bit, I think, you know, when you just kind of run over the same lines over and over and over again, you know, and I think that might've hurt mayhem this past year, you know, and could make it better next year. Or if there's another festival that does erupt, if mayhem decides not to do it, not to happen again, um, some other type of festival that's along the same lines. I think that what needs to happen is, is that the promoters need to mix it up a little bit more. That would be my, my take on that. Okay. And and that's interesting because I'm I'm over here in Europe and I've gotten to see festivals with suicidal tendencies, Devil Driver and Journey playing on the same bills. So. My point, that's my point right there. There it is right there. That's what needs to happen over here. And I believe we could, you know, get people excited again, you know. Everybody's so overstimulated over here in the space, you know, and if if you keep running over the same lines over and over and over again you don't you just don't get high anymore you know what i mean you gotta you you gotta mix it up some and i do believe that these promoters felt that uh, these mayhem promoters definitely probably felt that this 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 year you know yeah i i think personally nothing against Mm -hmm. slayer but i mean if slayer's going out and touring the the shit out of the country if they're coming back on a big festival it's definitely gonna uh, affect the attendance at the festival. You're you're not going to pay to see them, you know, on their regular headlining tour, and then see them two months later on a traveling festival. That's just my opinion. True. You got to put a couple of other big headliners with them that that are different. That'll bring, uh, you know, a, a, a large group of people that would not normally just come to see uh, a Slayer and say King Diamond or or those bands that were on that that bill there. I know I would. I'm not really sure who played. I know Hell Yeah was on the was was there this year, uh, King Diamond and Slayer. But I think I think if there would have been, you know, some other acts there that were still considered metal, but at the same time different, you know, right. it might have made it a little special, a little more special, you know. Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, you've been around um, for ten years or so. When you were with Scrape, you just mentioned that you had done a bunch of production work and. And this and that. So you've been able to see the music industry how it's evolved or or you know come apart, however you want to look at it. Uh, with the new outlets like streaming, do you think that that's a future for bands? Do you see that as as a viable outlet for not just an established band, um, but for new bands like yourselves that are coming out to actually be able to you know book tours based on what you guys are, you know, what type of play you guys are getting on Spotify or Apple music or things of that nature. Yeah. Well, it's the wave of the future, man. And if you put it on there and you do it right, the kids will get it. Everybody will get it. But what's important is touring behind all that, you know? And I think, I think that it's just a new paradigm nowadays, you know, that people are not, you don't buy CDs anymore. All the vinyl is kind of making a comeback. Vinyl's, I'm blown away at that. And, right. you know, Audio Tops has definitely got a vinyl release. It's beautiful. So um, it's just a different animal nowadays. Uh, streaming is streaming. You know, you just kind of kind of accept it uh, and, and go with the flow. The As far as the payout on it to all of us guys, you know, hey, you got to just kind of deal with it until it gets uh, balanced out, I guess you could say, you know. And, and get out and tour, man. I mean, and that's really where bands make their money and earn their fans and sell shit, you know?
forged from the fires that created a long-lost brotherhood of podcasts comes the Blast Syndicate. We are made up of Focus on Metal, Inside Metal, Iron City Rocks, Mars Attacks, Metal Geeks, MSR Cast, Neckbreaker, Radioactive Metal, and Wiki Metal. We are the Blast Syndicate. Go to BlastSyndicate.com to find out more. Get blasted. The Galaxy of Geeks podcast is four guys talking all things geek. Whether that's Star Wars, Marvel vs. DC, TV shows, movies, or anything in between. We have all the geek bases. Go to galaxyofgeeks.net to find out more. Punch it! This is Billy Keaton with Audiotopsy, and you're listening to Mars Attack with Victor. Looking forward to seeing everybody on tour and releasing Natural Causes and putting the metal down. Thank you very much.
an interview news site to keep up with your favorite bands or artists and the podcasts or interviews where they appear go to earpeeler.com to find out what we're all about all right hope you guys enjoyed my interview there with billy keaton I want to thank Billy for coming on. want to also thank John Freeman for setting everything up with this interview. And we're going to wrap things up with another track by Audiotopsy. Go out and check this album out. The name of this track is All We Know. Thanks again for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. We will be shortly available via the Google Play Store, so keep an eye out for that if you're an Android user. But uh, in any event, here we go with a little audio topsy. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 